Hey y'all, welcome to RUF. My name is Simon Stokes. I'm the RUF campus minister here. And a couple of y'all have asked me uh, how I was doing tonight, uh, and so I thought I would tell you how I'm doing. Um, what's been going on? Uh, it has been a very busy semester, and I was sick with a cold like two weeks ago, which I got over, but then I gave to my children, who now have a cold, and I think they've given it back to me and turned the tables, if you will. And uh, yesterday, I'm doing some continuing ed stuff, and yesterday I opened up um, my calendar. Katie asked me as I left the house, hey, do you have anything to do for um, that program that you're in? And I was like, no, I don't have anything, I don't think. And, but I got to school, and I was like, ah, oh, maybe I should check anyway. And I opened up uh, my laptop, and I was like, oh, wait, there was a paper due yesterday that I didn't write. And so I did that, um, and... I didn't finish the whole thing. I just kind of turned it in semi-complete. You know, it was on prayer and I kind of winged it. Because <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> um, plus, it's like the final, it's a terminal degree. No one's going to look at this later. Um, <laughs> and I say all that because that is really like how I'm doing. I wrote this sermon today. Um, <laughs> I say all that because I really, like, this is really how I'm doing. And this is like really where I'm at. And I want you to know, like, you can really come in here and say how you're doing, and you can really kind of come in here and be kind of where you're at, because um, I would imagine that at this point in the semester, a lot of us are kind of maybe feeling a little bit like what my life has been like for the last couple of weeks, um, starting to get a little sick because you're a little worn out, uh, maybe have, like, missed some assignments or struggling to do assignments, um, things are falling through the cracks, and I want to say, like, this is not a place where you have to, like, be all together, but this is actually a place where God and his grace and his love gives us the freedom to actually be who we are, um, which is an amazing thing. And I think that's actually the best thing for friendship and community and relationships that you could ever ask for or want. And so I, I want to give to y'all um, what I think I've received from you, um, which is real relationship and honesty. So that's what RUF is. Uh, this semester we're going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's really a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to a church in Ephesus. And he's basically just trying to talk about what does it mean that God is at work through Jesus to bring a really divided world together. And so tonight we're actually getting to kind of zero in on something that he's actually praying for the Ephesians. Um, and which in some way I think he's praying for us too as part of God's church. So... Let me read this. It's Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, and we'll get started. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, we do thank you that you've given us this prayer, um, Lord, that we would see um, what it is that you want for your church as you speak through the Apostle Paul. 
Lord, I pray that we would receive um, what he prays for um, this church tonight. God, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to your love. God, that we would know what we have in Christ. Lord, that you would set us free from all the things that weigh us down. And Lord, that we would live in the freedom and the love of being your children. In your name we pray. Amen. I heard a story recently about a guy named Luke Haggerty. Uh, he, uh, in high school, had had to make a decision between, was he going to play basketball or was he going to play baseball? And one of his coaches comes up to him and says, you know, Luke, uh, there's plenty of guys who play basketball who are like 6'7", but not a lot of guys who play baseball who are 6'7". And especially guys who are 6'7", who throw left-handed. And you should think about it. And so he kind of continues with it, and he winds up playing ball uh, in college for actually a college named Ball State, which is funny. (laughs) 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 Playing baseball for Ball ball State. Uh, (laughs) And uh, someone his first year looks at him and says, hey, you know, if you could throw in the mid-90s, you would get picked up in the first round in the majors. And so he works really hard at that, and he actually winds up throwing around 94 miles an hour with his fastball uh, his senior year of college, and he gets picked up in the first round by the Chicago Cubs, which is incredible. It's 2002, and he's playing baseball when he's like 23, and he gets a million-dollar signing deal. I mean, it's incredible. But he starts playing, and he gets what's called the yips. Do you know what the yips are? It's, it's where... You kind of psych yourself out so that you have all the abilities, all the tools at your disposal to play really well, and yet mentally, like, you can't do it. Just something isn't working. I mean, the way that Luke related it was that it was like you would step up to the plate and want to throw a ball, and it'd be like suddenly you couldn't even, like, write your signature. Like, this thing you've done hundreds of times, you just could not do it. And the yips go on and on and on, and he winds up having to drop out of the majors and for 10 years, he's just kind of bouncing around. He's doing some sports clinics. He's teaching people uh, who want to play baseball how to play baseball. Finally, he goes and sees a sports psychologist lady. And she kind of helps him take stock of some things. And she asks him, you know, what's your on-plate persona? Like, who are you really? And he starts to work through some of that. And he starts to recognize, hey, I have, like, the skills and the tools to be a good ball player. And he works and he works and he works at like what he actually has and what he's got. He goes to spring tryouts uh, this last year, or no, this, I guess this January, and he's throwing in the high 90s as a 37-year-old man. And the Cubs pick him back up after not being in the majors for 10 years. And it's incredible because this guy who had all these tools all these abilities at his disposal, forgot how to use them. And then he gets them back. And what I want to suggest to you tonight is that's actually a lot of our problem as we try to live the Christian life. That we have all these abilities, all these tools at our disposal in Christ, and yet we forget them. We don't look at them, we don't see them, we tell ourselves there's other things we, not, we need or won't. I mean, like, I just need to read some books and get my head around some of this theology stuff. Or I need, like, this one big, once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. Like, I need to go on the world race, right? Or I need to feel like I need to do a bunch of things or start a bunch of things. Like, what do you think you need to do to live the Christian life?
and to live it with enthusiasm and to enjoy it. What do you need to do? Tonight the Apostle Paul is writing to us and he's telling us what he actually thinks we need. Like what do we really need to live the Christian life well and to access the things that are already there at our disposal. So I want to look at what Paul's written here tonight and I just want to ask two questions of this. I want to ask, who are those who are enlightened? I want to ask, who is the one who is enlightening? Who are the ones who are enlightened? Who is the one who is enlightening? So let's look at this. Who are the ones who are, who are being enlightened here? Look at verses 17 and 19. Paul is praying. He says, that The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Listen, y'all, the problem for people like us is not that we don't have the resources at our disposal. The problem is that we don't see what we have. Do you ever think of that as one of the big problems in your life? That you don't see what you already have? I mean, think what Paul is doing here. He's praying for these Christians, and he can pray anything he wants for them. I mean, Paul is a super spiritual guy. He's planting churches all over the place. He did miracles. He could pray that they'd be incredible at evangelism. He could pray that they would you know, grow a ton in holiness. But what does he pray? That more than that, in all these things, that they would know what God has given them through Jesus. Do you ever think that that's what... Maybe you need to. Because it's not like these people aren't doing okay. I mean, it actually sounds like they're doing amazing. He's heard of their faith in Jesus. He's heard of their love towards the saints. But he knows that for them to continue on in the faith, they need to continue in the knowledge of what they have in Jesus. It's kind of like when you walk around here, and, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this yet at UNC, but there's calendar people, and there's not calendar people. Like, there's people who will... Grab you by the shirt and say, if you do one thing, buy a planner and write in that planner. Or open up the little app on your phone and actually put in you know, dates and times and set notifications. Like, if you do nothing else, do this one thing. And they may be right, but they're not. <laughs> um, Paul is saying... Do this one thing. If you do nothing else, this is the one thing you need to do. He's grabbing them by the shirt and saying, do you know what you need? Look, I don't expect everybody here to think of themselves as Christians or to call themselves Christians. If you're not, or you don't, I'm really glad that you're here and that you're with us tonight. But for those of us who do... I think sometimes I can feel like, okay, I need that one thing, but really what I need is for people to like me. I know that you say what I really need is Jesus, but really I think like at times on my insides, it feels like I need to do something that's really important so that people will tell me that I'm amazing. I know that I need this one thing, but a lot of times what it feels like is that I, I need to stop being a jerk to the people around me. And I need to start being nicer. I need to be like the better version of me. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Like This is the one thing that you need. This is the thing. Look, 
Paul in this also says that tied to our problems in this is that there's powers above us. There's all kinds of powers. And some of those are earthly powers. Some of them are spiritual powers. I'm not going to try to get into that. But there's these powers above us that are telling us what to do and who to be. And it's coming at us all the time, all at once. It's like, you need to be beautiful. You need to be smart. You need to be interesting and competent. You need to be well-rounded. You need to run a marathon while becoming a certified personal trainer. And you need to drop red meat and pick up kale. Uh, you need to speak another language. You need to get a double major. You need to start a movement. You need to change the world. You need to travel before you get locked down in marriage. You need to set yourself up to succeed. And you need to come out of UNC making 80K and volunteering at an amazing nonprofit. Like all these voices that are surrounding us, telling us to do all these things all at once. And you know, with all that going on, is it any wonder that so many of us are so stressed out and anxious all the time? Is it any wonder that psych services all over America, but especially here at UNC, are kind of taxed beyond their limits? Because there's all these powers above you, all these authorities above you, throwing commands down upon you, and you're constantly trying to please them. There's the voice of school. You know, you've got to grind. You've got to achieve. You've got to work really hard. There's the voice of friends. You've got to look cool. You've got to fit in. You can't be awkward. There's the voice of your family. You've got to please us. You've got to get the major that's actually going to make money. You can't do the thing that you want to do and follow your bliss, you know? There's the voice of fear of what are you missing out on? What could you be? There's all these voices stacked up above you telling you what to do and who you are. How often is it that what's wrong spiritually with our lives is really just a product of listening to those voices and those authorities and of trying to apply them to Christianity? Like, okay, to run a marathon, you need more discipline. Well, the Christian life is a lot like a marathon, so I've got to dig really deep, and I need to grab some discipline, I need to grind out some prayer times and some Bible reading times, and I need to have some awkward evangelism questions and conversations with strangers that I just met. And is it any wonder that sometimes it feels like a grind? And what Paul is saying is that more than discipline, more than a new experience, more than some sort of new knowledge, what you need is for God to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And to take the central kernel of who you are, the real you, the secret you, the you that maybe you're afraid to show to other people, but that exists inside of you, your heart that you need God to take your heart and you need to lift it, you need Him to lift it above all those voices so that you can go and listen to the one voice that matters, to the voice of Jesus. That His voice is the voice that silences all the other wannabe bosses in our lives. When I talk to you all, it sometimes seems like a lot of your life you've been criticized or nitpicked by people in authority over you like coaches, teachers, parents. Some of that's been pretty harsh. And you can either try to run from that, you can try to please it. However you've tried to deal with that, how has that gone for you? Has it brought you rest or joy? What Paul is saying here is that, man, the voice of Jesus is not another high-pressure authority figure who's here to criticize you or nitpick you. That the voice of Jesus is actually a voice of someone who loves you 
and gives himself to you. And it's not that he approves of everything that you do. I mean, if he did, he wouldn't have died for your sins. But he's loved you in your sin and loved you in those broken places. And he's died for you anyway. So his voice can be the voice that rings louder than all the other voices. So his voice can say, come to me all who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So his voice can say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me except through the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. And yet come. So that his voice can say, it is finished. Which means that you don't have anything to do to prove to him or to God that you're worthy of love or worthy of acceptance. Because he's given you what you need to be loved and be accepted. And do you know that voice? Do you know the voice of the beloved that silences all the other voices? Do you know that that's the thing that you need the most to hear that in your heart? I had a seminary professor who told the story once of on his office door, he would open it and close it and it would creak kind of incessantly. And like every time he opened it, every time he closed it, but like, creak, creak. And it was driving a little crazy. And so he contacts building services and building services brings in a carpenter. And the carpenter takes the door off the hinges and he sets it up and he takes what's called a planer, which is a very sharp, uh, kind of heavy tool that you put onto wood that's rough and you just ride it over it and it shaves off the rough parts. And one of the neat things about planers is that when you run it over these rough parts of the wood, that it is so sharp and it's such a fine cut that it will take the wood and it'll actually uh, cut like a really thin curly cue with the wood. Kind of like if you ever peel a carrot with a carrot peeler and it goes like that. And my professor was kind of looking over this carpenter's shoulder and watching him just kind of plane this door down. And he's seeing the wood curly cues and just kind of how fine the shave on this wood is getting. And he's just appreciating what's going on. And he says, oh, man, that's so neat. Isn't it cool the way it's his little curly cues? That's so fun. Because, you know, he was nerding out about it. Like, he did many other things. And the guy kind of looks behind over his shoulder and he says gruffly, it's not neat when you've been doing it for 30 years. <laughs> just, like, blows him off entirely. And my professor kind of retreats back into his office. He's, like, reading a book. And, you know, it's a little shy after that. And so a few minutes later, the guy wraps up, puts the door back on the hinge, and leaves. And my professor notices that even after this guy has been at work on this door, it still creaks when he opens and closes it. And he just noted that the job that you don't take any joy in is usually one that you don't do very well. And that's a lot like the Christian life. And... Discipline is so helpful, isn't it? Growing in wisdom and holiness and patience, those things are important. Taking your gifts and using them to make the world a better place is incredible, and people will love you for it. But the Father of glory has made you for His own glory. And the way to live in that glory is to actually love Him 
and to obey his commandments. And anything less than that glory is just not worth your time. And so the question is, how do I actually enjoy this? What do I need? And Paul's answer is that you need God to raise your heart up above all those other voices and to listen to the one who enlightens your heart. Who is that? Look at what he says here. He's praying, he says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is grabbing us by the shirt and he's saying he wants us to know the immeasurably great power and love of Jesus. And power here is not power like the force in Star Wars. It's not, or it's not magic. Uh, the power is the power of being connected and folded, defined by the one who through love has triumphed over death. This is why it matters so much of what you believe in Jesus. See, here's, here's the thing. If you think that Jesus is a very nice, very moral teacher, had a few good ideas, but he wasn't anything more than that, then he can't help you. He couldn't even help himself. He has no more power to help you than any other dead person has the power to help. But if you believe that Jesus is the kind of person that Paul is describing here, as someone who's seated above all rule and power and authority at the right hand of God, then it changes everything about the way that you deal with yourself and you deal with the world. Because if Jesus is really God, and he was really living life in the flesh, not as a king but as a servant, then he understands how hard your life can be. He understands how broken the world can be. That almost from the moment he was born, he's a refugee, he's an immigrant, his family is so poor and there's like three tiers of sacrifices that you can make when uh, your child is born in the temple. And there's like the rich people tier, and there's the middle class tier, and then there's the tier where it's basically if you don't have two pennies to rub together, this is what you can do. And that is the sacrifice that his parents made for him. Because Jesus grew up as a poor immigrant refugee. Joseph, the earthly stand-in for his dad probably dies when he's young. We don't know that for sure, but it's probably pretty likely. And in that time and in that place, Jesus as the oldest son would have been just expected to step up and be the man of the house. And so maybe he's the breadwinner for his mom and his brothers and sisters when he's like 13, which is the age that he became an adult in that culture. Jesus is totally misunderstood by the people around him. Nobody gets the central thing that his life is about. Nobody understands him. Nobody's even like him. Which if you've ever felt misunderstood, you know is lonely. Jesus gets crushed by injustice. The only thing that his own people and the Romans who are oppressing those people can agree on is they want him dead. And yet, if he's God, then he really understands how hard life can be. It's for good reason that he gets called the man of sorrows. Because he's taking the sad, broken things of the world, instead of running from them, he's run towards them and allowed them to overcome him. And yet through death and sadness and disappointment, Jesus has brought life and joy and hope. 
That if Christianity is true, then Jesus didn't just die, but He also rose again. And He's seated at the right hand of God now, above everything else, which means that He is in the prime spot, not just to understand you, but actually to help you. And what Paul wants us to know is not just that we're getting power, but who we're getting. That we're, our hearts get connected to this person. You see, in the death of Jesus, you see God's supreme demonstration of love. And in the resurrection of Jesus, you see God's supreme demonstration of power. Power without love is terrifying. Power without love is just another voice who's shouting at you to do something. Or to be something that you're not. But love without power isn't really of any help either, is it? I mean, it's just, it might give you the warm feels every now and again. But it can't actually help you. Not in the ways you need to be helped. But in Christ, what you have is someone who has the power and the love to care for you. To deal with you. The real you. To silence those other voices and to deal with the problems of the world. In Christ you have not just someone who can help, but someone who must help. Because not only does he have the power, but he has the love. In fact, he's driven to help because he loves you. It's sort of like the old Liam Neeson movie, uh, Taken. Have you ever seen this? It's an amazing action movie. Uh, At the start of the movie, I'm not ruining anything for you in this. I mean, it's in the title. But at the start of the movie... Liam Neeson's daughter goes to Europe with a friend and they get kidnapped by these evil thugs. And as they're being kidnapped, you know, she's on the phone with her dad, Liam Neeson, and she drops the phone as the kidnapper comes into the room. And the guy picks up the phone and Liam Neeson says this. He says, if you are looking for a ransom, I don't have very much money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. Well, the guy hangs up and surprise, surprise, that's not the end of it. (laughs) Because as the movie unfolds, you see that Liam Neeson both has the power to save to the other most. I mean, he demolishes this crime syndicate. But he also has the love to save, and to throw himself into harm's way, and to do whatever he has to do for his daughter. Do you know that's what God is doing in your life now? That he's taking his power and his love, and he's saving you to the uttermost. That when we proclaim Jesus as king, what God is doing is he's connecting us to the life and the power of Jesus. That through the gospel, we actually have access to God. That we believe that the gospel is so good that it has the power to take lives that are unbelievably broken and sad and to make them unbelievably hopeful. That has the power for us to know in our bodies and our souls what it means that God has actually loved us and cared for us. We believe that when we gather to encourage one another and to worship Jesus and to spur one another on in faith, that the cycles of sadness and brokenness in our lives are reversed. That that's actually how resurrection power is unleashed in the world. Do you know that power? Do you know that if that power is at work in your life, that even the dead things in your life, the sad things in your life, will be undone by His, by his life? 
That not only will God wipe away your tears one day, but He is so powerful and seated so high above all the other powers that He's even able to use those powers that have opposed Him for your good. Do you know what the guarantee of that is? That Jesus will take even the sad things in your life and use them for your good. The guarantee is His death and His resurrection. That in going to the cross, Jesus was not just making us right with Him, but He was doing battle with evil. That He was so powerful over that evil that even in giving His life on the cross, He was conquering death through death. That this very thing, this instrument of oppression and torture, the cross, that was supposed to destroy Him and destroy hope, was actually the means by which God gave us life. And to believe in Him is to be united to Him. And united into His work and His life for us. Which means that He's going to take even your setbacks. Even your sadness. Even your tears and your heartache and your lonely nights. He's going to take even your sins. And He will work those things for your good. Somebody once said that hope is faith kind of standing on its tiptoes. Do you know what faith stands on? The life and the death of Jesus Christ. That for His people, He will transform even the things that lead to death into the glory of eternal life. Look, some of y'all have been so disappointed by life. You've been so disappointed that you think it's foolish to have hope. Friends have let you down. Parents have let you down. Every authority figure ever in your life has let you down especially those people who are supposed to take care of you. And so you run around and you don't let people give you the chance to disappoint you. You do everything for yourself. You don't let anybody in. And then you hear God's call to you in Jesus. And when you go, you just... It's hard to trust Him. It's hard to listen to His voice because you're afraid to hope. And you're afraid to be disappointed. But if you don't have hope, do you know how to get it? By asking Him to connect you to His life. If you don't know how to ask for that, He will give you the words. If you don't know how to want to ask for that, He will give you the desire. He is that good. He is that powerful. Do you know what a Christian is? Christians are not people who have met a standard. I certainly haven't met any standard. Christians are people for whom God has said, come and be mine. Whose voice has spoken to them and drawn them to himself. And the amazing hope of the gospel is that God's love for you doesn't depend on whether or not you can perform or what you know or what you could do or what you could feel. But God's, you're staying with God is what he's done for you and how he's felt for you. And how he's performed for you. And because of the hope of that built on him, it means that even the sad things in our life are going to come untrue. Even the broken things in our world will be undone. Because Jesus has trampled over death. And he's conquered it with his love and his life. And what you and I most need to see is the reality of Jesus' love is it powerfully works on our behalf. Like, that's the thing. 
That's the thing that would make it all come together is understanding God's grace and love in Jesus and having your heart enlightened to that. And so I'm going to end with this. There's a pastor um, who a friend of mine works for and he tells a story that uh, when he was in his 20s, he's actually an REF intern and he worked at a school and he knew a guy there that was this incredible athlete. This is an incredible, just well-rounded, good-looking athlete. He was very involved in the campus ministry. He led Bible studies. People loved this guy. He was like the guy in the ministry that everybody else wanted to be. And somewhere along the line, this guy gets diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is not, um, out of the scale of cancer, it's not the worst cancer you could get. It's very treatable. But it just wrecked this guy. And he lost his health. And he lost his hair. And friends of his who had loved him when he was fun and outgoing and had super high energy kind of evaporated out of his life. And he said that one night he was in the hospital and he's trying to walk from his hospital bed to the bathroom. And he's in like just the, the hospital gown and that's it. And he's trying to make it to the bathroom And he's so weak, and the disease is so bad that he just collapses on the floor. And he can't get up. And he said in that moment he got it. That he got it. That he was leading no Bible studies. He had not prayed in months. He could do nothing for Jesus. Like zero. His life was a wreck. But on the floor of his hospital room he got it. Because he finally understood grace. That he was so helpless. That he could do nothing for God and yet God loved him all the same in that moment as if he could do everything for God. And to this day he will tell you that he thanks God for Hodgkin's lymphoma in his life. And I tell that story not because I wish cancer on anybody. But do you know that that's what the eyes of our hearts need? To see, to be enlightened to as well. That God loves you apart from anything that you can do. And you can do tons of things for God. Or you can do nothing for God. But what you need to see is God's love for you in Christ. That he's given his life and his power to you and is seated with God right now on your behalf. And you need that more than some new piece of knowledge. You need that more than some new experience. You need God to raise your heart to see and listen to the voice of Jesus. That God has given us everything in Him. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. And so that's my offer to you tonight. To know and see the power and the love of Jesus at work in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to know your grace. Lord, the reality that you give us everything in your life and your death. God, that you are raised above all the voices, all the authorities in this world. And Jesus, you speak a better word for us than even our own hearts. You speak a word of love and of peace and affection. Apart from anything we can know or do. 
but because of everything that you have done and felt towards us. Jesus, help us to believe that. Jesus, for those of us who are here and don't know you, God, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see beautiful things in you and in your work. God, that we would trust you and be enfolded in your love. In your name we pray. Amen. We all see you.